I usually go. So I live uh, next to uh, the Nepean Sports Box in Miraval Gardens. I don't know if you know the area. It's just a kilometer from here, and they have swimming for persons with disabilities. I normally hop on my wheelchair from my home rather than drive my car. You know, I just uh, it's eight minutes on my wheelchair. Well, no, there's no way I can get down the uh, multi-use path from you know my uh, community to the sports parks. It's it's been sort of one little narrow channel on it, but the windrows are still blocking me, so I can I can't even get onto the uh, path. Now I I don't expect that after such a major snowstorm, you know, that things would be cleared all over the place because I'm talking about one or two individuals like myself who just can't get access to it. And there's probably a lot of more high priority areas, but I just hope downtown, <laughs> you know, all around all those places where people normally would get out and walk, you know, and, and that we're able to get out and walk. I haven't heard you know, everything down there. But I know from past experience from talking to people that it's a real issue downtown, you know, just getting around, getting down Carling Avenue, where all the seniors' homes are, and that it's not just persons with disabilities. It's, you know, uh, you know, seniors that can walk normally fine, but they're not going to risk it to break a leg on, uh, on uh, climbing over snowbanks. And there's you know, a lot of... Mothers trying to push uh, strollers that aren't going to get through as well. So it's just, what's good for a person with disability is usually good for a lot of other people as well. So, you know, but I, winter in Ottawa is winter in Ottawa. So. Hello, and welcome to the Fulcrum Radio Show. I'm your host, Damian Piper. The Fulcrum is the University of Ottawa's legendary English newspaper, produced on the University of Ottawa campus in downtown Ottawa, the capital city of the North, on the Great Turtle Island. Today on the show, we have an interview with Jerry Fiore of the Ottawa Disability Coalition, He's the one you just heard talking about getting around Ottawa on a wheelchair in the winter. The Ottawa Disability Coalition is a network of local organizations that have come together to advocate for a more equitable community that would ensure people with disabilities have the same opportunities in the city of Ottawa as every other citizen. He's on the show to talk to us about some of the issues facing people with disability right now, particularly in relation to new information that has come to light about the proposed new hospital that would be over 500 meters away from the nearest transit stop. And Emma Williams is in conversation with Greg Rand, a bird enthusiast and the assistant collections manager at the Canadian Museum of Nature. Right now, there's a big owl exhibit at the museum, and Emma and Greg dive deep into owls and answer some of the questions asked by you from our fulcrum poll that we put on Instagram. But first, it's time for headlines. 
Today reading headlines, we have Fulcrum staff writers Shaley Shaw and Gabrielle Muzeshka. Welcome to the broadcast. Two Canadians have been killed and another injured at a resort in Cancun. Gunfire erupted after a dispute at the Hotel Charquette, Mexico, in the tourist town of Playa de Carmen. Graphic videos online revealed the incident may have unfolded near an outdoor dining area. The police chief said that their gun was fired during an argument among the hotel's guests. Recently, there has been a worrying wave of attacks on foreign tourists in the Mayan Riviera. In November, there was a shootout at a busy beach in Cancun. Four American tourists were shot in the attack. In October, an American and German tourist were killed in the crossfire between dueling drug gangs in the resort town of Tulum. The University of Ottawa has announced that it plans to begin welcoming back students to its campus on Monday, January 31st. Justifying the decision, University of Ottawa Provost Jill Scott said that it was determined through the City of Ottawa's wastewater data that the latest wave of the pandemic had peaked, allowing for a safe return to campus. This decision has been lambasted by a number of associations on campus, including the University of Ottawa Student Union and the Association of Part-Time Professors at the University of Ottawa, who have raised a number of concerns. So far, the university has yet to address these concerns. It is estimated that 20% of all University of Ottawa students will be attending in-person classes next week. The Canadian academic, Lebanese-born sociology professor Hassan Diab has been serving a prison sentence in France. He is accused of a 1980 bombing outside a Paris synagogue. France says that Hassan Diab is a member of a Palestinian militant group and that he planted a bomb that killed four people and wounded 40 others. Mr. Diab was first arrested by the RCMP in Canada in 2008 and placed under strict bail conditions until his extradition to France in 2014. After the first three years of detention, the charges were dropped due to lack of evidence. Mr. Diab has always maintained his innocence and says he was in Lebanon at the time of the attack. When asked about Mr. Diab's case in 2018, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said that he supported Diab, but he has yet to comment on the upcoming trial. Hassan Diab was also a former professor at the University of Ottawa. Staff of Galderie Bernadette Childcare Centre on the University of Ottawa campus have received official certification of unionization by the Ontario Labour Relations Board. This comes after months of tension between early childhood educators and the Centre's Board of Directors, which has led to the board resigning following the certification. This was the Centre's second application. The first was denied in October by the Ontario Labour Relations Board due to a minor issue. Concerns of labour and equity presented to the board by staff outlined structural problems within the organisation and led the employees to push for a union. Jacinda Ardern, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, was chased by anti-vaccination protesters off the road while she was driving in her van. Footage of the incident that took place last week shows protesters shouting at the van from another vehicle as they drove it recklessly, chasing the Prime Minister and filming it with personal devices. When asked about the incident, Prime Minister Arden said that it was just another day. This incident comes amid a small rise in threats against politicians and public figures in New Zealand. Recently, a police report released a Freedom of Information Act for police data, revealing that the threats against MPs reached a three-year high in one month last year. The University of Ottawa Student Union is calling for the University of Ottawa to mandate a third dose of the COVID-19 vaccine for students. The union believes that two doses of the vaccine does not protect against the current strain of COVID-19, 
and that it is imperative for students to get vaccinated for a third time to protect themselves and the community from serious infection. The University of Ottawa is currently only mandating students to have received two doses of any Health Canada recognized COVID-19 vaccine to access its campus. Cuban authorities have acknowledged that 790 people have been indicted for acts of vandalism, attempted against authorities, persons, and property, and severe disruptions of public order. These charges are related to rare anti-government protests, which ignited in July when thousands expressed their frustrations about the country's economic downturn in the streets. Some demonstrators took aim at the government of President Miguel Diaz-Canel. At the time, the Cuban government accused the United States of being behind the protests in an effort to destabilize the nation. There are at least 55 of the defendants who are between 16 and 18. The U.S. government this week slammed Cuba for prosecuting minors. The Ottawa Disability Coalition is a network of organizations who make the push to create more accessible communities. Ottawa is quite an old city that is full of a lot of old buildings. The architecture and infrastructure across the city is iconic and certainly defines a lot of the country's heritage and culture. Today, we're at the top of 2022, and one of the biggest issues facing the city of Ottawa today is the location of the new Civic Hospital. We've touched on certain aspects of that project previously on this show, because the new site for the proposed hospital is going to be on the Central Experimental Farm. Now that they're a lot closer to breaking ground, new details emerged about the hospital's location and accessibility is a top concern, because the hospital will be over 500 meters away from the nearest bus stop, and up and downhill, depending on which way you're coming from. So that could be a bit of an issue. Joining me today is the chair of the Ottawa Disability Coalition, Jerry Fiore. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me. No problem at all, it's a, my pleasure. Can you tell me about the Ottawa Disability Coalition? Oh, for sure. The Ottawa Disability Coalition um, sort of began in 2014 this version of it. There, there was one put together when there was a bus strike uh, uh, earlier on, about 10 years earlier, and all the disability people got together to try and help persons with disabilities and that. But then as things got better, it sort of disappeared. So there was a, a group of individuals at the MS Society Social Action Committee got the idea, let's bring this back together because it's better if we speak as one voice. And so since 2014, the organizations, the MS Society, Parkinson's, Spinal Cord Injury, Neil Squires, there's, there's now 20 of us organizations which have an office in Ottawa. And our really mandate is to look around the Ottawa area, look out for all the citizens here. Even though we have the MS Society, Parkinson's, our national organizations, our focus is on making Ottawa much more accessible for all its residents. And so to give everyone the opportunity to do what everyone else has the opportunity to do, you know, through education, through advocacy, how, however we can do it. Now, what does accessibility mean? <laughs> well, it, it means 
a lot of different things. You can have financial accessibility, which is important. You can have language accessibility. You can have physical mobility accessibility. And if you go through and look at barriers, take, take the other approach. What barriers are there that are preventing us from doing what most people can do? And look at it from that perspective. What would stop a young woman, single mother in a wheelchair from getting to a restaurant at any point in time? And then if you add on the dimension of, well, what happens if that happens to be an Aboriginal single mother in a wheelchair? There's systemic racism around, there's safety issues around and everything like that. There is climate issues. You know, you don't want to be out in a wheelchair or if you're a frail elderly person in a walker and there's a windstorm. So climate, and that, there's all types of barriers that people uh, don't really think about. And it's sort of our mission to explain this to people and to make sure the attitudes are removed, the, the financial barriers are removed. Um, if you can't get a job, you can't afford to live in a nice house. House tends to be unhealthy. You don't eat well. You get sick. You end up in a hospital, you know, and all those cycles and that. So it, it, it leads all the way to your health and financial and quality of life. Of course, we can't fix everything. <laughs> all at once and we're all a volunteer organization there is no we're not a formal organization we're a network we're a coalition and we just don't have resources to go out and do a lot of lobbying and do this and that and the other thing so we just work on what we feel is the priority and low-hanging fruits that we can actually do something about so two-part question what was the situation like in Ottawa from an accessibility standpoint before the pandemic and how has it changed since the pandemic? Well, before the pandemic, um, over the, over the last, uh, I'd say 10 years that, uh, I've been, well, I've been involved about 15 years in, in accessibility since I retired and that, and over that, you know, say, uh, 12 year period leading up until before the, the pandemic, a lot of improvements have been made with the AODA coming in and, and with the accessibility advisory committee, um, having a little bit more mandate to help out at the city and that, uh, there were some changes in, in who they reported to and, and how they worked and, and the accessibility office at the city, we had a good working relationship with OC Transpo and Public Works and things. So things were slowly improving and that. The biggest thing was Paratranspo and, and they made some big improvement. But there is still, Ottawa's an old city. There's so many places that have steps. There's still some curb cuts and a lot of crosswalks that you need better intersection controls and stuff on. And it, so it was improving and life was getting better. Uh, for sure, for a lot of people, with some more work to do. Then when the pandemic hit, a lot of people were locked in. And so they couldn't get out. 
who couldn't get out of their house. There was a lot of social isolation going on with it. People, all, all of the support organizations, uh, like the Champlain Community Support Network, which Meals on Wheels and the Good Companion Center and the Old Forge and all, all of their foot care programs and all of that had to shut down. All the volunteers had to be pulled out from public health point of view. Anyone over 70 was too high a risk and couldn't get involved and stuff like that. That by itself took a lot of seniors and persons with disabilities that used to volunteer and locked them away from something they loved to do. The majority of those services were lost and they also lost a lot of individual lives with the pandemic and so we're not talking just accessibility we're talking about life itself and that because in the long-term care facilities a lot of persons with disabilities unfortunately passed away because of health care issues this is not an accessibility issue it's a health care issue of course last winter you know it was really icy and with all the lockdowns and, and that there's a lot of problems going on and still the organizations the ms society parkinson's also had to shut down you know their their fundraising dropped off they couldn't do in-person support for people everything had to go virtual some of that was very good the virtual support but when you lose in-person contact for developmentally challenged people for uh, visually impaired people and for any other number of people it, it's been very difficult for persons with disabilities and we're, we're hoping soon <laughs> to come out of this I, I hope so as well. And uh, just to go a little further on that detail, is disability always visible? Oh, far from it. And that there's a lot of people uh, um, that, you know, with developmental difficulties, with uh, uh, brain injuries, a lot of times you, you don't know someone who's visually impaired at all, uh, you know, mental illness and addiction is a disability, you know, and, and that, and so uh, quite a few people with heart conditions, with breathing difficulties, they can't walk very far, yet when people look at them, I work for, I have MS, I've worked at StatCan for up to, well, just 35 years, basically. It was only in the last 10 years that people could notice that I had some type of difficulty. But I had MS, it, and it, it didn't stop me from working. I was fortunate, and, and I'm also was fortunate to have a job at StatCan, which was very supportive. But, you know, it, it wasn't obvious to people that I had these difficulties. My difficulties were nuisances compared to a lot of other uh, difficulties that people with visible and with invisible difficulties have. The snow gets very heavy around here. How can, like you say, little climate changes really interfere for somebody who doesn't understand what it's like for anyone else? What is that like? How does that change your life? Well, I think everyone has to be 
cognizant of the weather, you know, and, and, and going out. And so, you know, when there's a little bit of freezing rain, I'm not going to go out in any fashion because with a, I, I can use a walker. I, I use my mechanical walker, but I, you know, have a little travel scooter and I have my big powerful electric wheelchair. I'm not going to go on any place that has a little grade because if there's ice on it, my wheelchair is going to slide off the road. It's gone off the path and stuff like that. So, and normal people will do the same thing. You know, though, if it's freezing rain, and which Ottawa has a lot of, they'll step out on the uh, on a slippery sidewalk, and pretty soon they're going to be disabled themselves for a broken wrist and a broken that and that. And so, persons with disabilities generally are frailer than other people. And they're generally more cautious than other people. And so when there's some type of sign of bad weather, they will tend to be cautious and not go out. That's, you know, probably, um, well, that's a good thing, but it, it limits what you can do in that. And so you become dependent on other people to come and help you and to drive you and to to do things for you. It's something that you lose a bit of dignity and self-confidence. On the other hand, I've learned if there's an aid out there that'll help me, I'm gonna use it. I don't feel embarrassed by, by using it. So there's an attitude um, that you have to take when you're a person with disabilities to, the, to go on and that. And so some of that, you have to learn and some of it you need someone to support a support group to help you to to move that way but you are generally a little bit more cautious i think than the normal individuals facing challenge challenging winters or whatever the weather happens to be so i wanted to ask you about the Ottawa Hospital and the proposed new site. When it comes to accessibility, how is the current plans, how does that look to you right now? Well, the current plans are problematic in that the biggest problem comes from the distance of travel from public transit. So we're currently the LRT station at Dow's Lake cannot be moved. So it's a, a half a kilometer from when you get off the platform of the LRT over to the front entrance, the main entrance of the, um, the new hospital as where it's situated now. So a half a kilometer is way too far for someone in a walker, with a walker, a manual wheelchair, with a heart condition, with breathing problems, you know, to walk and that. So what it is is saying you can't really take public transit to the site. There is no bus access on the site planned right now. And so there's all types of issues related to the distance of travel from public transit. There's also a problem right now in that the parkade that they're building is not underneath the hospital, it's beside the hospital. 
therefore the closest parking spot to the main entrance is about 75 meters away and that's the closest accessible parking spot when you you know line up parking spots of course some are really close and much more further so 75 is the closest now if you look at the best practices for um accessible parking um you want it to be within 30 meters of where you're going if you go to um you know a pharmacy you go to even canadian tire you know they're within 30 meters of the main entrance to well so 75 meters is still a long way to go for some people with these accessibility issues in them so even for driving you have a, an issue and then for a pedestrian and you know walking um there's issues of well it's on a hill it's a approximately 30 meter from the bottom very bottom of the of the hill on carling to the top of the hill the hospitals most of the way up the hill so you're going to be walking either down a slope or up a slope and so with a wheelchair or walker or on an icy sidewalk in the winter time you have problems those are the, those are the the biggest issues and it comes about because of all the site limitations they can't put the hospital any closer to the lrt station they can't put the garage underground because there's a major sanitary sewer that runs there there's bedrock there and there's all the frankie piles that used to be there to support the old sir john carling building uh in the way so what has happened is all these site limitations have restricted the flexibility in where the hospital can be located, where various things can be done. So there's some limitations on the options. And that comes about because there was no due diligence done when the site was selected to investigate the actual site itself for these type of limitations. It was chosen because it was large enough to hold the size of the hospital complex. And, and I, I use that term very specifically. They're not just putting a hospital at that site. You know, the hospital was justified to be located in a sort of a downtown central area because they need to have a community hospital there. They need to have a trauma center there. They are a tertiary care hospital that serves also Quebec and Northern Canada. We're in, we're in the stage now where we're trying to mitigate the bad things about accessibility and we're not doing enough to deal with other options which could influence accessibility and other things as I've, I've mentioned as well. But, but thank you very much for making the time for me today. Oh, you're welcome. And, uh, you know, good luck with everything. Uh, people with disabilities are, and they're, they're just like the rest of the population, except they have a disability. In fact, you know, we tend to want to look at their abilities, which is really important. 
because when you're talking employment, you're talking education, these people have lots of abilities. You know, so when you when you're discussing people with disabilities, focus on their abilities as well. Don't just talk about the disabilities. Focus on their abilities, and that, and yeah, uh, you, you know, you'll do us another service. <laughs> so, anyways, I'll let you go. Yeah, and, thank uh, you, thank you very much, Jerry. No, no problem. No, thank you. Emma Williams is our science editor. She joins me now. Hey, Emma. Hey, Damien. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Uh, what's new in science this week? So this week, there's a live owl exhibit at the Nature Museum. And that led me to speak with Gregory Rand, who is the assistant collection manager for all of the birds there. Oh, what did you talk about? We talked about owls, of course, all different kinds of owl species where you can find owls, some top 10 owl questions. We also pulled from our Fulcrum Instagram page and got a chance to ask you Ottawa students to send in their questions. So that was great. We got to see a lot of involvement from our readers and our students that way. Oh, well, it sounds like a real hoot. <laughs> it, it is. Thank you. So you're, you work in collections at the museum. So I'm just wondering if you can tell me a bit about, you know, what that means, what you do day to day. Do yeah, so I'm the assistant collections manager for birds and mammals at the Museum of Nature. Um, a good part of my job is actually just organizing things and keeping the taxonomy up to date, making sure the information uh, we're doing a lot of digitization work these days, so making sure the information is available online. Uh, we're migrating to a new database, so a lot of it is quality control. I also have a number of co-op students, so our interns at different volunteers that are working on different projects um, that can involve anything from inventorying, cataloging, imaging specimens, uh, so they keep me fairly busy. Um, uh, I also handle all of the research requests which come in, so I get, have to uh, evaluate them, then um, present it to our curator, see what, if we're going to pro process it, if we're doing external loans, if we're sending anything in, hosting any visiting researchers and they want to use the collections, um, artists. In regular times, we also have school, uh, school groups, classes, university groups that are coming in, um, people from various birding clubs. We, so it's uh, kind of weird right now because we have limited access to it. So it kind of changed the job a little bit, but. Okay, so I guess just right into the owl questions now. Okay. Um, why do they rotate their heads 180 degrees and why is that advantageous for them? So unlike, uh, owls have weird eye structures. So the eyes are actually held in place by capsules so they cannot move them. So for them to be able to see, it's not a question of just shifting their eyes left or right. They actually have to swivel their head. Wow. And it's, it is useful to see behind you in case something is coming up on you. Okay. Um, so is it true that owls don't really make their own nests and they kind of just steal abandoned ones? Or is that a myth? It, the, 
pens. You have a lot of them that we'll be using at our nests. So great horned owls are known for using old heron nests. Um, you'll get great gray owls using old goshawk nests in the boreal forest. Um, solid owls, boreal owls, they're cavity nesters, so they nest inside hollow trees. Um, they're not very well equipped for that, so they'll find old woodpecker nests or just natural cavities um, that they can fit in. Um, some species will make, it, it's hard to call them nests, they're more like impressions on the ground. So snowy owls, uh, shorted owls are nesting in the vegetation directly on the ground. So they basically flatten an area and they're nesting there. Okay. And it's so fine not, that they're on the ground like that, or are they more at risk when they're lower to the ground? Uh, depends. And there's also, uh, if you think of snowy owls, they're nesting up in the Arctic where there's no, not really any other choice but nesting on the ground. Um, so they'll find an area that's a bit more sheltered or um, off, a bit higher up so you don't get any of the moisture problems. And the parents are actively defending their nest from anyone that, or anything that will get a bit too close. So I'm sure if you YouTube it, you can probably find some footage of the snowy owl attacking our big fox. It's getting a bit too close. Um, so how do the owls in Canada differ from different owl species, you know, across the world? Well, owls are owls. Uh, if you and a lot of them from Canada are um, found in throughout like the northern hemisphere. So you'll get great gray owls in Europe, Russia. Um, and same thing for our boreal owls, shorted owls, long-eared owls. So a lot of them have very broad distributions. The same general pattern for a lot of owl species. You'll generally recognize an owl no matter where you go. You'll see it if you're in uh, South America and you see an owl, you'll know it's an owl. You might not know what kind it is. They have the same general body shape. They're generally nocturnal, large eyes. They have the eyes fixed in the front uh, again, so that uh, with, by the capsule. So um, it's one of the reasons why people kind of like them because they have that look where they're always looking at you when they're staring. Whereas a lot of other birds, it's more of a kind of a big glance to one side or another. All right. Is there any type of owl behavior that you find extremely interesting? Is it the way that they vocalize or how they hunt? Owls are just really cool. They're so I, I like nocturnal birds. I love the fact that they can basically detect things by hearing it. Um, a lot of them have asymmetrical ear placement, so they can pinpoint things underneath the snow without actually seeing it. So you can get some, if you go again online, you can find footage of a great AL that will basically find a bowl where it's tunneling underneath the snow. There's a lot of really cool features. Their courtships, the vocalizations can be really interesting. So you get the typical that's the great horn owl that's always in the background in movies but some of them are really creepy if you go ahead and find a recording of a barn owl it is a blood curdling screech it's really uh, it's really interesting when you get to hear it for yourself outside it sounds like this Sorry about that, but I had to show you. Back to Emma Williams. 
Uh, unfortunately, it's a species at risk, which is really not common in Canada. I've had the chance of hearing them once, and it's true, they're true to their recordings. Uh, I've worked with owls, not necessarily in my museum, museum role, but uh, I can tell you that solid owls, for example, and a lot of other owls, they have a protein called porphyrin, which is deposited in the feathers when they're growing. And when you're working with them, and you can put it underneath a UV light, and the protein glows hot pink under UV lights when it's new. And as the feather ages, the protein degrades, and it becomes blue. So the feather pattern like that, you can actually age an owl up to a certain extent. Some of them may be up to four or five years. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> under, under UV light, owls, the baby owls glow pink. Hot pink. Hot pink. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Young owls, one year old, will have uniformly hot pink feathers. And as they get older, they replace feathers. So you start getting different wear patterns. Um, so you'll get the older ones that start fading, then the ones that are, were just replaced are brighter pink. And some of the older ones are almost kind of pale blue. That is so cool. <laughs> so uh, you kind of touched a little bit on endangered species. I tried to look at the like IUCN list, but I'm wondering like in terms of numbers, how are owls doing? Good or is it stable, declining? Depends on the species. Some of them are stable. Some of them, a lot of them are declining, have that loss. They run into a lot of hazards along the way. If you look at safe winds, Ottawa, they collect all the birds that are hitting windows. And believe it or not, there's actually owls hitting it. So solid owls, reach owls, even snowy owls that hit up windows in the Ottawa region. Some species such as the Barn owl were always really range restricted in Canada, so they were they were always in kind of the extreme south. They're not adapted to the cold, so that right off the bat there weren't a lot of them. And southern Canada is where you get the densest human human populations and a lot of encroachment like that. There have been changes in agricultural practices, which have also affected their uh, basically breeding grounds. So, what can the public do then to best support owl populations? Well, it. That's a complicated one. So you can always support owl research. You can support initiatives such as Wild Bird Care Center that'll be uh, helping any injured owls. So some of the snowy owls, for example, they get hit by cars. Then there's the Wild Bird Care Center, which is helping out any of, any of the ones that are hitting windows. You can also participate in increasing awareness by just joining some of your naturalist clubs nearby that may be supporting initiatives such as setting up nest boxes, which are useful for locally breeding species such as the screech owls, solid owls, uh, even barred owls, which are fairly large owls, you can make a nest box for them and they can use it in their industry locally. So I polled a bunch of UOttawa students and I just have a couple questions from random students at UOttawa. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Emily asks, are is putting like birds in cages a pretty cruel thing to do? Like, should we really be having birds as pets or is that irresponsible? That's a really loaded question there. So pros and uh, you're asking me to go against the pet industry on this one. <laughs> um, so there's the aspect for, there's the legal aspect and then so there's a legal wildlife trade for pets and cages, but then there's also the whole trade in the um, illegal one. 
completely against any of the legal trades. There's a lot of harvesting of wild species out there, putting them in cages. That's not great. And, uh, I think it's a bit more nuanced when you're going into stuff that was captive bred. And it really depends on species um, and the accommodations. Some of the owls, if you want to get in some of the owls, for example, at the museum, a lot of them were either captive bred or were rehabilitated birds that couldn't be uh, released into the wild. And in situations like that, it can be useful because they're used for educational purposes and increasing awareness of certain issues with regards to species. And there's a certain aspect of having live animals that's just a lot more impactful to most people than just having either a picture or a stuffed animal. But I do invite everyone to go up into the museum and look at our bird gallery where we have all of our Canadian species featured there. Okay, thank you. Um, Amy and Ryan asked, why are owls' faces so flat? So a lot of it has to do with, um, so they're predators. And a lot of the feature of a lot of predators is their eyes face forward. It's really good for their vision for hunting. Um, they can really focus on things. Um, if you look at a great gray owl, basically they're flat faced that it helps basically funnel the sound um, when they're looking for they're basically hunting by a sound. Basically helps them just locate prey. Okay, so when they, when you say like they hunt by sound, is it like how bats use echolocation or completely so different? Completely different. Okay. So they'll, whereas bats echolocation is the bat producing a sound and it gets reflected off of the surface. Um, the owls are actually hearing things, so they can hear a mouse walking on leaves and they'll know exactly where it is, or uh, a little vole, which is a rodent, it can be tunneling underneath the snow and no, zero sign of it on the surface, and the owl will just go up and pick exactly where it is, just based on sound. That's so crazy. Um, Eric wants to know, how do owls fly slash learn to fly? Do they just like jump and hope for the best? Or is there like an owl flight school? <laughs> yeah, so a lot of birds, they basically go through two different stages. So the owls, when they're really small, they can't do anything. Then they get a bit older, they start flapping their wings, and then they start, uh, you depend on the species, you get like a crawling stage where they just kind of walk around and they waddle around. As they get older, they flap a bit more and then they do shorter flights and then longer flights um, until they're, well, and usually the parents are around, they're going to be defending them for, uh, while they're vulnerable and eventually they'll be able to fly longer and longer until they can achieve sustained flight. All right. Well, thank you. And uh, it was nice talking to you. Yeah, nice chatting with you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Here with the latest of what's happening with the GGs is the Fulcrum Sports Editor, Jasmine McKnight. Hey everyone, I hope you've been keeping warm. Unfortunately, the GGs haven't been able to compete in a while. Between the holiday break and the recent COVID-19 restrictions in Ontario, leagues have been put on a pause. 
Thankfully, on January 31st, restrictions are easing up and athletes will be allowed to resume training. Leagues will need to make a decision regarding games that were missed throughout this time. It would be nice to see them rescheduled. As for upcoming games, the OUA will pick things up on February 9th. The RICQ is to resume even sooner, with the GG's women's hockey team and volleyball teams getting back to it on February 6th. The week after, we'll get to see the undefeated basketball teams back in action, as well as the men's hockey team. I'm excited to get back into routine, and I'm sure you are too. See you next time. Thank you to everyone involved in this week's show. Calling in from the West Coast, we got Shaley Shaw. A very warm welcome to the newest member of the Fulcrum team, Gabrielle Musechka. Emma Williams showed up with the who's who. And we just couldn't do this without Jasmine McKnight. Music and sound design by Cameron Rankin. You've been listening to the Fulcrum Radio Show. I'm your host, Damian Piper. See you next week.